0: There is nothing you, anybody could have learned in school or college.
1: Welcome to this episode of the Better Goods Podcast. I'm speaking to Mayank Sexaria, who works on strategy and asset allocation at LMI. Hi, Mayank. Really happy to have you on.
0: Hi, happy to be on.
1: Um, a lot of your work revolves around uh, predicting macro variables and uh, strategizing on how to invest on that. Given the uh, elevated levels of inflation and consumer demand we've seen over the last one and a half years in the in the U.S. and the eurozone, what are your models of 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 working through this? Because this isn't a typical um, bout of inflation we have seen.
0: Yeah, um, so that is a good way to set the table on what are the issues we are grappling with. The- a big fundamental issue with a lot of modeling that you see uh, people do um, on the street and elsewhere is not because of uh, you know people not being smart or whatever, but largely because of data limitations, most of the models will be 10, 20, 25, maybe 30 years of uh, data as part of the input set. And the environment that that existed over that period of time is different than what we have right now because over the mid 90s through the end of the pandemic essentially you were in an environment where the only variable that mattered was growth, because inflation was too benign Uh, or I guess you cared about inflation in the sense that what if it felt too low and what are the implications of that you rarely had to contend with either data or uh, thinking around what would happen if inflation is too high. Um, and so it's tricky right now because you really can't easily empirically solve for this question as to how should you adjust if this environment uh, exists. The 70s are not an easy comparison to uh, sort of link to as well. So you end up in a situation where you have to rely on a lot more qualitative uh, assessment uh, and even less quantitative assessment than what is normally permissible within the macro landscape, where we always have the problem of of n being too small, right? You do not have enough data points from the past of, of cycles to be highly reliable. And even if you did, you do not have enough ends in terms of the number of bets you can make Investing in macro, unless you're doing some very sort of uh, rel val type strategy uh, that you know trades hundreds of times a quarter. So it's very hard to um, judge and put probabilities around things right now, and so you end up with, in my opinion, having to uh, uh, you have to end up taking on more risk than you would want to otherwise. So more specifically on the you know the current environment and how we see it. Generally speaking, we perceive growth and inflation to be both likely to slow uh, rather than accelerate from here um, over the course of this year. Um, I don't think that is anything particularly heroic. I guess uh, to uh, to be assessing. Um, probably the more sort of aggressive view, if you want to think about it that way, is that we, we, or more specifically I, I should not say we, um, think that by the time we get to the end of the year, or if not sooner, we are more likely to be worried about growth than we are likely to be worried about inflation. Uh, So I'm happy to sort of go into that a bit deeper, uh, you know, based on,
1: Any follow-up questions? Right, because I thought you'd be worried about both growth and inflation, given the oil supply shock we've had and all the geopolitical uncertainty regarding both uh, the uh, war in Ukraine and the Chinese shutdowns, both of which would be very poor for both growth and inflation. What's your reasoning for not being worried about inflation?
0: So think about what's happened with COVID-0 and oil, right? So one of the big reasons why crude went from 120 to 100 over the last, um, I think it's 105 right now, uh, over the last month or so was because largely, in my opinion, actually we to do COVID zero in China because it took out about 2 million barrels per day of demand uh, from the system. So I think there is a lot of anchoring that is happening on, um, disruptions being largely supply side focused and therefore inflationary, because that's what happened in 2021, um, because you did not have demand disruption. So the net impact was inflationary. But if you have demand disruption and supply disruption, the net impact is complex at, at best, and it might even be bad for inflation, if more demand is destroyed, like it is happening in the case of oil, for example, right now. Um, Having said that, it's not obvious at all uh, that this will persist, right? Um, At some point, COVID zero policies will end, uh, and so the demand will be normalized. At some point, the SPR release will stop five more months, let's say, uh, COVID zero, say, let's say two more months, three more months, who knows, but something like that. But the supply losses that are coming from Russia are not going away, those are much less reversible. So th- that is a countervailing uh, risk to the view that I described is, you could have oil at 150 in you know, six months time, it's possible. It's definitely not out of the realm of possibility uh, at all. In fact, that's one of the bigger risks that are out there. And, you know, speculation is a sort of tricky term, people define it differently. Um, there is a technical definition also, but I think practically speaking, one could define it as, um, or maybe we can choose a different term, but it's easy to use a existing term in some ways where growth is slowing um, non-trivially and inflation is high or increasing non-trivially. right? So uh, effectively, you saw that in Q1 uh, of this year. And if you look at, Equity markets and bond markets—you know the worst sort of combo anti-resparsity move you've ever seen. So that, but for that to persist, you, in my opinion, you need both things to continue to be true. And the sort of divergence between growth and inflation, uh, in in my mind, is not something that can easily persist for extended periods of time. If you if you are weakening nominal growth, you it's hard to understand why and how you would have strong uh, uh, inflationary pressures. You could have strong nominal growth impulse and inflationary pressures at the same time. But the opposite, uh, the, the two things moving in the opposite direction can only go on for so long.
1: Right, that's that's, that's fair to me. It's somewhat in line with my views. A more meta question I've always wanted to ask is, on Wall Street, you see these numbers coming out. X-Bank predicts, you know, this percent GDP growth and this percent in uh, inflation. And, and I'm sure inside asset, uh, when you make your asset allocation strategy decisions, you have your own internal forecast like this. But to somebody outside the field, they seem like you're picking numbers from a bingo card. So what is the um, what is the process by, by which you 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 come across these numbers?
0: So the streets numbers are, of course, you know, derived in very various different ways because all banks have different approaches. There is obviously overlap, but you know, there's a decent amount of variance in terms of how people come to some sort of a number. Uh, and therefore one can with some reason assume that the consensus it, you know is sort of like a crowdsourced super forecast of sorts um, by the way that's a good book uh, that I highly recommend for people to read is Super Forecasting by Philip Tetlock um, consensus kind of works like that it's sort of like a uh, like a crowdsourced number right for me the individual banks numbers are not particularly interesting uh, and we don't focus on them too much. Unless we have a very clear appreciation for how X bank does it, we understand very well and we think that is a useful approach, then we will sort of filter for that and give it a little bit more weight. Um, I'll give you an example. For retail sales, we prefer to look at banks that have a lot of credit card uh, information as part of their retail business. So Bank of America and JP Morgan have a very large credit card business, and we tend to think that they have a better ability to uh, forecast retail sales because of that input. And therefore, we will look at that more than we will look at consensus. But unless we have some sort of specific reason like that, we will generally lean on the consensus number. We actually don't spend time forecasting GDP numbers and inflation numbers uh, ourselves, uh, because the question is to what end, right? So when we are, um, you know, if I mean, if I, if I could hire an army of analysts, um, then maybe I could assign two people to try and do that. But part of it is the resource constraint that we just don't have the ability to uh, and the time to spend to try and do that, right? Because it's it's more than a full time job; multiple people would be needed. But also philosophically, I I don't think it's particularly important to get that number correct because if you ran sort of a hindsight 2022 20, exercise 2020 20, not 22, <laughs> exercise and let's say you you knew and the most important number is let's say uh, NFP normally non farm payrolls right historically that's one of the more important data points that we could forecast if you assumed you knew the number beforehand. And if you looked at every month for the last X number of years and tried to say, okay, based on knowing the number, I will bet, I, I will bet on rates going up or down. I am fairly certain that the uh, you are not going to get much better than 50% correct, even if you knew the number. So the utility of getting the number right, et cetera, is just, I just think, um, 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 is not particularly high, in my opinion. The other people have different perspectives on this. What is more important is you you have to one have an appreciation for what number will the market care about, in which direction, and why. You know, and that takes a lot of things into positioning, and what is the sentiment, what is the consensus, um, et cetera. Um, the number is largely more about sort of getting a sense of where this where the consensus is um and um you sort of try not to look through that uh, and use it in some ways more as an ex post variable rather than an next anti variable um for you know we, to summarize it's very hard to forecast with any great accuracy even if you could forecast with great accuracy it's very hard to make money based off of that forecast. Um, and so you put those things together, you, you have to find a different reason to use, or a different way of using those numbers uh, than just you know uh, trying too hard to figure out whether something is 2.1 or
1: 2.2. Do you have internal Breer scores on your on your team? Because that seems like, I always thought people should should do that. Internal what? Breer scores. The. Are- Tetlock mentioned it in super forecasting basically uh, like you know uh, measure the forecasting accuracy
0: yeah yeah so because we are not doing that kind of forecasting mm-hmm. but we, we, there isn't uh, a forecasting accuracy to measure uh, and we do not have enough people um, to sort of do sort of average into in the way he does it uh, mm-hmm. from, a, from a large number of people um, uh, we don't implement sort of like in a you know, sort of like in a systematic way that that TEDlock does and can um, it's more we sort of use the concepts um, or I use the concept because you know it's not so simple to say like everybody should use this approach and on the team um, but generally the idea is that we think about it in the, uh, in the style of setting baselines using data as incremental, to the baseline to adjust probabilities up and down, thinking probabilistically, et cetera, um, rather than some of the things that uh, that he that he suggests, which are which would require a different type of structure within the organization to um, be utilized in the way he does it.
1: And then um, let's say you, you do have your your broad view of how certain variables are, are going to go. How does that translate into actual investment decisions by your portfolio managers?
0: Um, so we don't have portfolio managers. We Our team is responsible for deciding how to allocate the assets uh, in a sort of um, you know, semi-consensus type structure. Okay. And of course, as a CIO, so ultimately the CIO can overrule what we want to do mm-hmm. uh, or do anything else that he wants that, that's um um you know that's the way the uh, the firm is organized um and in some asset classes we have power to suggest in some asset classes we have power to act so it right. just sort of it depends on which asset class we're talking about equities we have power to act because we manage that within uh, our team but we have an entire fixed income team that manages fixed income there we have the power to push the dollars, but not decide where the dollars go. Um, like,
1: even then, in the, intellectually, let's say you know that, that you- Yeah, yeah, I, I follow like,
0: the question. Like how does, it, how does the question, is how do we translate everything? Growth is going to slow, inflation is going to slow. What do we mm, do with that? Right.
1: right.
0: So we um, so what we do is we build a lot of heuristic models
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, using macro inputs, using non-macro inputs, et cetera. Um, and um, my, this, is, this is my stylistic way of doing it. Um, in some ways, sort of, I don't know a thousand people like Bridgewater, but the concept is similar, where um, you build, let's say five models for understanding fair value for rates or forward-looking views on rates yeah. with these macro inputs, right? So if I think this is what's gonna happen to GDP, that's, uh, I have a fair value model, I plug in my expectation roughly, and it gives me, okay, this is where things should end up for this particular rate. And, um, I call it a sort of agreement based approach where I don't know if any of these models is going to work at any given point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't lean too much on any of them, um, individually, but if an aggregate, all of them are saying the same thing that let let's say rates are, um, uh too rich so then i've come comfort in making a call that okay yes rates are too rich and so we'll react to that in the portfolio accordingly
1: alright no the, um, the macro variables i can understand by by non macro do you mean things like you know important company earnings or sectoral uh forecasts or what does that mean uh price variables uh, would be non macro variables. variables okay yeah okay yeah um, a common technique I've seen among people on Twitter is that they basically one of the more um, ways to to uh, do this forward-looking is every time an important company uh, uh, reports their their earnings, you know, of a, a few weeks before the actual GDP numbers come in, they they basically say, you know, these these. Company said these, these things in their earnings calls, and these, these companies said these, these things. And so we should be able to get a good qualitative picture of the economy with, with, with so many, uh, 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 with so many earnings calls. What do you think of this bottom up strategy to uh, looking at uh, Mac available and then working through your uh, asset allocation decisions? Yeah. That? Uh,
0: we actually, uh, I've implemented a sort of a version of the strategy mm-hmm. within our firm. Um, but it requires a lot of resources, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So we have thirty, maybe even more, you know, a little bit more than that. Bottom-up analysts mm-hmm. um, who look at things at the industry level,
1: okay,
0: sector, industry, whatever, stock level. Okay, um, they are they are on you know, the credit side, so they are more focused on the credit. But the evaluation of the company is still, you know, roughly the same.
1: Right.
0: And what we have done is we've created a sort of uh, survey of our team mm-hmm. where we ask them sort of macro relevant questions.
1: Okay.
0: And we, same thing, right? Instead of, cr- we are crowdsourcing, but from a selected crowd right. who have an edge on those specific things. Okay. Um, in theory, it is like somebody on Twitter touristy style, um, reading what, you know one snippet of a paragraph from Amazon. Mm-hmm. But if you had somebody who covered Amazon for a living, hmm. one would imagine that they have better insight hmm. um, into what's happening. So it's very hard, in my opinion, to do this at sort of a person level mm-hmm. by... Because you, you literally will have limitations on what you can spend time on. Mm-hmm. And so you will invariably have to do something half-assed. Mm-hmm. And, or more than a quarter-assed, or, you know, one-tenth-assed. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and so you, you, so resource constraint is a real issue with, with macro, right? When macro is so vast, there are so many things you can do, so many things, so many approaches you can do. Um, and... So I, at, a, at a previous firm, we had a similar setup and so I was able to leverage the same approach there. At another firm, I, I was at a startup and there were no resources. One analyst. So you can't do anything of this nature. Um, so, but yeah, conceptually, it's actually, I think, quite helpful um, because you are not going to see everything from the macro. Um, and some banks do a version of this type of thing um, but it's you know a question of how much you want to rely on their analysts etc versus your own um, so there's a way to sort of source it from the street but you know it's a little bit trickier in some ways mm-hmm. but yeah conceptually I think marrying the micro with the macro is a is a good thing to try and do if you are able to do it
1: a um, it- You mentioned this about, you know, working with the team. You've worked across many teams. What are the, the qualities of, of good teams that, that make them, that make the sum of the parts greater uh, than the parts themselves that, sorry, that make the teams greater than the sum of their parts.
0: I think what you need is for people to feel that they are not participating in an exercise um, uh, for the heck of it, mm-hmm. which is which happens a lot in, uh, or, you know, when you're at a firm, you somebody starts something and then people are just doing it because it's there. Um, so if if, if it was, take the survey for example, right, that like if all was all that was happening was, um, you know, people are just filling out the survey every three months. It's not that. Great. What is going to create non-linear benefits is um, creating bi-directional flow, where the other team feels like, oh, I'm I'm benefiting from doing this um, in my approach, in my process, in what I'm trying to do, um, and the, and both team feel that way, right? I, I I think that is a key sort of um, design that you need to keep in mind when you're trying to do anything where you're interacting between one team versus another. Is you, you do not want to make one team think that this is this is just sort of like a a ho hum exercise as opposed to, oh, this is actually useful. And then it becomes uh, and when it becomes when it is bi-directional, then it has a potential to create nonlinear possibility, right? So, like, I will learn from what they're saying from the micro. And if they can learn from what I'm saying on, on the macro, maybe they can ask better questions next time they talk to management. And maybe I can look at new variables that I had not thought of before uh, on the macro side. And now we've created something that would not have happened otherwise. So, that's a really good question. Um, and that's the way I think about it. Um, I imagine there are other people who will give more sort of um, softer answers in terms of, um, um, which, which is not to say that I don't think those things are useless, but for me, this is a more practical uh, way where you can create leverage.
1: On the individual level, what are the characteristics of the best you know, analysts, strategists—what do you 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 want to call them? What what are the, the categories of the best indi- individuals who work with you? Do, do they come from a specific background, college course? Um, you know, are they quantitative, qualitative, specific style of thinking? How does uh, how do you evaluate talent that way? So, that's
0: a tough one. Um, I don't think there is. An easy one-size-fits-all, to be honest. Um, but what would be some um, you know, sort of common characteristics? Uh, it's, it's pretty cliched stuff, I guess. Um, um, of the people who I have uh, enjoyed working with. Um, well, okay, this is this is not so cliche. I think that if you can imagine or believe that somebody is smart, smart. And I'm not saying like, you don't need to be a genius. You just need to be someone who's smart, um, um, someone who is really into thinking about the things that they're going to be tasked tasked with thinking. Um, And that comes across fairly quickly and easily uh, when you're you're talking to people, right? Like how much do they, want this job for the reasons of what the day-to-day of the job is um, so someone who's smart someone who wants the job for the day-to-day not and it's totally fine to want the job for the money for the status whatever it is. those things are completely fine but i'm saying it also really matters that you want it for the day-to-day um, if, if those two things are there, you can feel very comfortable that the person will um, sort of push on their own, right? And I, to me, that is way more important than if you have the you know, enough experience. And I'm talking about younger, uh, sort of junior level positions, not uh, senior positions. There is nothing you, anybody could have learned in school or college from courses, etc., that you will not be able to pick up in one month of the job. Um, so I don't particularly worry about that too much. Um, and in any cases, you have to unlearn a lot of things, and you know you have to sort of. Um, it, it, so yeah, so I think what matters is more the. Um, how the person fits in the team, how is the person going to sort of work with other people on the team, smart um, and um, and cares about, uh, about the role. Those things are way more valuable than really any of the other sort of, unless it's a technical role, then obviously it's harder to dismiss the background and then it matters. But when it's sort of like more, when it's less technical, and we have people who do sort of both things, uh, it's slightly different. But uh, I, don't, I don't know. That was a, sort of a slightly rambly answer, but um, I don't know if that made sense.
1: No, I think I think it was great. It's also a, it's also one more data point in favor of my idea that education is mostly signaling and not skilling. So thank you for that. I'll I'll uh, cite this podcast later but uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, when you're on the topic of you know liking the day-to-day work Tyler Cowen has this um, um, amazing question where he asks people you know pianists uh, they practice scales and athletes they they go running uh, every day what is your version of trying to be better at the at the job you're 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 doing macro
0: is so weird right it's (laughs) Uh, because there's no, there's nothing you can repeat as a athlete to run every day to get stronger. It's, it's so random.
1: But then maybe um, every, every, every three months, you can, you can put your view of some Mac available or some, or some assets. And then, you know, uh try and try to do that. I know people who, who do that for, 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 other things.
0: Maybe I'm misunderstanding. Is the, is the question that like, how do you improve? Um on what you're doing or uh, is that not what you're asking?
1: Yeah, how do you, what, what equivalents of uh, pianists practicing scales or uh, athletes going for a run do you have? Because when you
0: I, see- I think the, it's just p l There's There's, there's, there's yeah, nothing like, really to prove. It's like, did you, did what you do make money or did what you did not make money no, but- for the right reason?
1: Yeah, like you'd get lucky right so you, so you so well, that's why i said for like the right the right yeah you no it's it's oh yeah i think that's a i think that's that's great it's what? very
0: hard in macro because you could get lucky for four years i like said, for five years Who so knows? <laughs> i mean i've been doing this for 15 years almost now i think a lot of it is luck there is some stuff that i think was not lucky uh, but a lot of it is luck for sure um there, there is a lot of um isolation not isolation oscillation that happens between um, having superiority complex when you get things right and um, imposter syndrome when you get things wrong in in macro because you literally that's happening every day mm-hmm.
1: right
0: so because the price is moving constantly every second you're always like either feeling ah, I have no one's smarter than me out there and, and the very next day, you could be like, my God, I have no clue what's happening. How am I, what am I even doing here? So okay. it's very different than a penis or an athlete, Where you're good or you're not good, you know, mm-hmm. and either you might decline over time and, or whatever, right? Like, but it's, there is no one day you're a great pianist and the next day you're a shitty pianist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not happening, right? Like one day you're very fast and the next day you're not very fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in 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 what in markets mm-hmm. that is what happens. One mm-hmm. day you're right and one day you're wrong.
1: How uh, do you gain control? and failures. Okay, right, fair. um You're on Twitter a lot. I'm also on Twitter a lot. Twitter has a great. Hopefully macro. not too much. <laughs> uh, hopefully not too much. But for I me, have a lot so of free time these you. days, <laughs> so I'm like it's. A, it's okay. I'll uh, do the I'll do the important stuff when I get to college. That, that's okay. <laughs> but <laughs> when you when you see all of this stuff on Twitter, you know you see mudslinging and you see really uh, interesting discussions. Part of the uh, nice part uh, of the large increase in uh, tweet volume has meant that a lot of people get to writing their their own newsletters and and Substacks and Reviewer right whatever. Um, Are you a frequent follower of those?
0: Um, some of them, we subscribe to some of them at the firm level, Mm -hmm. um, or, uh, or an individual level, um, basically sort of like an unbundling has happened. Right. That, um, you, instead of all of the stuff being, um, sort of in one place where you pay for at a bank in some form or the other, or at a research firm. Uh, like an external research firm um, but now you can pay it at an individual person's level so it's you know not particularly different it's a bit new in terms of structure but it's just sort of like a extension of existing structures in my mind. Mm
1: -hmm. And um, I had a conversation with a friend where where I asked him you know I want to subscribe to this uh, research firm's research how do I do that and he says well, do you have $50,000? I said, oh, that's a, I don't have $1,000. <laughs> and he's like, wow, that's a, that's a lot of money. What makes them get away with this? <laughs> it's a
0: free market, you know? there's yes. enough people willing to pay
1: them $50,000, like, Right, but um, charge. Shouldn't it. this get disintermediated in some time? Like, is the binding constraint here that not enough analysts want to quit and run the, their own sub stacks or, or what's the um, future of this uh of this? I, I don't
0: know it's an interesting question um i think that there is definitely um unbundling fatigue that's going to set in at some point
1: uh-huh.
0: uh, especially at the individual or if you want to call it a retail level mm-hmm. how many sub stacks paid sub stacks can people subscribe to? forget finance right this is sort of a beyond finance issue
1: mm-hmm. but
0: in terms of the sort of the, the, why are we able to get away with this? Because most of the case, most of the time, not most, not always, but most of the time you are not paying for the 50,000,
1: right.
0: the firm is paying for 50,000.
1: Right.
0: So it is affecting some people's bottom lines, but most people's bottom lines are not affected by it. Mm-hmm. So it's some, it's a number who you don't really particularly care about the number if you're not paying for it. Right. So mm-hmm. that's part of why uh, that can happen um the, uh, there has been pressure on you know uh, uh, you know there's a lot of research out there um a lot of it has gotten unbundled um, a lot of people want to do this kind of stuff so but there's a lot of consumers also so it's hard to know I, I i mean i don't have a great sense of how uh, if you if you start going to see like you know people like bca reduce their prices mm-hmm. um, but you know, a lot of the stuff is very niche. I guess maybe that's the way to think about it. That yeah. Anybody can, no, not it. You could find 200 people to care for your work out of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who are buyers of this stuff, right? Yeah. If you have enough of a niche product, and whatever way you define the niche, right? Like boomers, like uh, gloom and doom guys, or always optimistic guys, or technical guys, or whatever, whatever it might be. um It's if you know if you are good at whatever you're doing, finding 200 people is not particularly you know it's sort of like a long tail logic, right? There's there's enough of a long tail. Was that?
1: Thousand two fans.
0: Yeah, so exactly, so it, it it maybe that's the reason. I'm I'm spitballing a little bit here because this is not something that I've given a great amount of thought, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it could, per- like, I, I mean, I'm not seeing any sort of implosion happening in uh, external research prices. Right. Um, so there's no sign that there's some big turn uh, that's going to happen because people have gone to Substack. Um, also, it's, you know, like the risk that people have to take to go to Substack um, that, you know, versus taking a salary at a, at a research firm is not trivial. Right. Um, You know, not how many people are going to actually be able to make money that -hmm. is sustainable and survivable and not subject to churn uh, Mm -hmm. by creating a substack that people are going to pay for. So it's, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know. If 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 if, if institutions are paying for your stuff, you know, the higher prices can sustain. I think.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, I agree. On the on the broader topic. I read an obsessive amount of financial media, which is like probably not, not uh healthy, but I find all of it quite limited in in in, in detail. And you know, there's some mechanisms people have, even of the better ones like the like the like the uh, economist. What do you when you what could be improved in the um basic media ecosystem we have of both like both the the short-term macroeconomic data and long-term news slash analysis? both, like both online and in real life.
0: Um, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit outside of my, uh,
1: ballpark. No, um, that's where all the best answers come from. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if, uh, I have some advice for media folks, um, because I honestly don't consume a lot of financial media. Okay. Um, I can very little of it. um, okay. um yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what I consume from the media point of view because it's my, my sense is that it, unless it's Bloomberg, uh-huh. which costs twenty five thousand a pop, well, maybe not on the uh, sort of news side, uh, yeah, on the website side,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and therefore the website side is bit quite different. It's geared towards retail, right? Okay. It's not. It's 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 news and entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right? so CNBC is news and entertainment, mm-hmm.
1: um,
0: and that's fine, right? That's a different audience, <laughs> uh, right? Like that, they're not trying to, uh, they're not. I am not their audience, to be honest. Mm. Um, um, so it's they are playing in that ballpark, and you know it's shallow and it's whatever it is, and you know that's fine, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I'm not expecting, um, you know. I don't know, NBC to create, like, documentaries all the time and be very informative, right? It doesn't go wrong.
1: Not even oh, N- So it's the NBC. same thing to me in
0: finance as well.
1: But, like, but I think of, of, of even the more, even the more um detailed ones, The Economist, the FT, mm-hmm. or The Wall Street Journal. Many times I feel that these articles could be much more detailed and they could, they they rarely, if a, provide tra- tradable insights right it's
0: but are they tra- are they supposed to do that the, i i think you might be
1: the, at yeah. least the the ft right because they charge a ridiculous amount i mean at least compared to other media they charge a high amount and then they the audience. Is... i i
0: would say I, I think that if it was one newspaper mm-hmm. that i would consume it would be the ft
1: right same.
0: um and they do, I mean, they they used to, they used to do things that they, some of the things they've stopped now, for example, in China, they used to have a survey, Mm -hmm. um, which was one of only three or four, three, I guess at that time, maybe even two private sector surveys of Chinese sort of consumers um, and, and banks, Uh the the guy who did it, they stopped doing it more like a couple of years ago. that's that is, a yeah, unique no, thing that they did.
1: Yeah, no, I had not heard of that. No, that is... I think big, it
0: might have been a, you, I think you might have had to pay for that separately, but it was okay. done via the
1: FT uh, right.
0: setup. Mm-hmm. Um, It's it changed quite a bit. FT will used to be quite thoughtful. They used to mm-hmm. do... Matt Klein used to write for will. Right. Um,
1: One and, of my favorites.
0: Right. So he, you know... So if you like Matt Klein now, you like Matt Klein then, and he used to be part of, and then he used, there is a balance. So there are people there that are, you know, it, it just depends on um, what are they trying to achieve with their writing? Mm-hmm. Um, I I, put, I don't find it particularly insightful, but a lot of people like Robert Armstrong's work on, on the FT. Um, mm-hmm. um, I think it's called Unhedged. Okay. So the, I think it is, more. you have to more think about it as like, okay, which parts of the paper are value additive in terms of what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And m- maybe you should think about it as this is not, uh, if you're trying to think about training, you're trying to think about like ideas. Um, in a macro sense, the idea of the FT is not to give you deep deep things. It is supposed to give you broad things to think about to help you think about which things you need to go deep in yourself. There's very little stuff that I think you can read and be like, oh, this is so deep. Like I can come look at it and get to something that is substantive. Okay. I think about it as like this is the vast ocean of macro. Mm-hmm. The FT tells you maybe you need to go swim in these five, six, seven, eight places. Okay. And then it's for you to get there and then explore. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not going to do the deep dive uh you know with the scuba suit for you. Okay. Nobody's going to do that. I mean, I guess not nobody, but like if you pay enough to Citibank because of your relationship, then you could make them do the deep dive for you in some mm-hmm. cases. But even then, it's it's a, you know, like it's at some point it will it will start to appear shallow. If right. you think deeply enough about any topic, no matter what you look at, it will end up appearing shallow at some point, which is a, which is a good thing. That means you have gotten to a point where you are now. Well versed in the topic, where you can find out, ah, oh, this article. What are they talking about? Like, is this-, this is so superficial. That's yeah. a good place to be. In in some ways, that is also information.
1: Mm. No, yeah, I I think I think okay, yeah, that that gave me something I did I did I didn't I didn't think about it. I'll do I'll do more 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 the work on it. And like, uh eighty episodes later, when I call you back, I'll have a more I, I'll have a different question on that. But uh, okay. my, my my last uh, question to you is, relatively compared to tech, um, finance has lost a lot of the allure it had for um people in people just starting their 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 uh, jobs. G- you know, given the fact that most of the high status stuff is done in I, d- I don't know optimizing ads for Meta these days. Uh, where, what is it done
0: now? Is, I mean, is that still true? Maybe,
1: maybe in 2019 it was this. Now it okay. Now, given the VC climate, the intestine stuff is probably having a, a, a nice job in Amazon. But
0: um, <laughs> is, is it though? After yesterday, it's not clear anymore. Nothing is clear anymore to me.
1: <laughs> okay, I, I okay. Yes, fair, <laughs> fair, 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 fair. <laughs> fair no, 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 no. Yeah, ever since. Um, yeah, this this quarter hasn't been good for them but i'll but i'll but i'll play them I'm, up, only, but...
0: I'm only i'm only kind of joking right like but like think about it it's interesting i' i just pulled up the chart uh-huh um amazon is flat through now basically june of you're... 2020 okay wow i did not right so mm-hmm. um also amazon was never sexy to force mm. anybody to go get a job, yeah, no, I can't imagine really, that. It, no, I, um, I think
1: like yeah, among I'm, I'm, I'm the like people I in college I spoke to, they were all like, oh, Google, and then you know that's like, not a scene, and like it was Facebook, right. maybe Google, and then same thing happened, and then. So I, think, well,
0: I actually this I have a question for you. Okay. What is sexy for people in college right
1: now? Um. I, I'm not in college I'm in national service but like the uh, answer would, would go on the on the lines up if you want a stable job big tech is the is still the the, the place to be maybe six months ago I would have told you that the the, the, that the answer would be to raise an an, uh, an offensive amount of money from some venture capitalist so uh, startups are very very interesting. For the more finance end of people, it is absolutely crypto. So the, I mean, you know, rising prices lead to more talent coming in. That's that's the, that's the that's the that's the rule of the world. And the answer was crypto. I mean, it still is crypto, but I expect that will go through more ups and downs.
0: Fascinating. Uh, depressing, but fascinating. I
1: mean, yeah, but <laughs> I, I I I asked Jamie Powell this, and he's like, it's it's definitely a scam, but. Uh, the price are going up and, and, you know, buying it would have been a great strategy. So, you know, uh, those guys have $30 million and I don't. So who's the right. real loser? here? <laughs> um,
0: no, yeah. yeah. I don't know if macro is going to be sexy anytime soon. Um, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately. Um, um, But, you know, you know, my team and i've hired a couple of people in the last say six months or so nine months mm-hmm. uh, or so and yeah. you know, compared to the conversations we have with folks in terms of like how hard it is to find people to hire mm-hmm. uh it was not bad at all because mm-hmm. we thought we found some people who were very good um mm-hmm. who were very into the job and um we were pretty happy with how it turned out so it's it's not bad enough to the point where uh, you know that we're running out of people but um, so so that's I guess some solace
1: no my question is going to be you know um, what advice do you have for, for for young people who want to get into certain types of job um, jobs you have done you know uh, macro research asset all- allocation how should they structure their reading interests and um, and basically work towards that? Um. So I came at it from a
0: couple of different um, unconventional ways.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One was that I came from equities.
1: Okay.
0: Which is typically not where most macro people come from. Most macro people come from FIC, which is fixed income, and, uh, currency, and commodity businesses. Okay. Um. So that I think is a interesting. To me, that was an advantage. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Uh, Because being strong in equities is, I think, very, very important. And a lot of macro people are not good at equities because that's just not what what they know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think equities is, of all of the asset classes, the most interesting to me. uh, And especially if you want to do macro, the most differentiated. So I think that would be like... If there were being yeah. a piece of advice, I would say try and go by the equity route rather right. than the rates or uh, or credit or FX route. Mm-hmm. Um, the other would be, um, I mean, it depends. So uh, let me put it this way: I don't subscribe to this idea that there is just one way of doing anything in macro. Right. Um, and not just macro, general finance. I know people who I think are amazing, um, and who just do purely technicals.
1: Right. They don't they, even care they, what the chart
0: is about. And they're they're doing, and they lines on charts. Right, and they can, and they make it work. Okay. So if you can do that, do that. If you like doing that, you can do that.
1: Enjoy.
0: Some people who are very good at um, uh, at the bottom up. Mm. So if there, if there is no right way of making money in, you know, the, whatever works for you, works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be, you know, sort of a vague piece of advice, but like point being like, there's no one size fits all. Okay. Um, and then I think the m- one mistake that I see a lot of people make is if they think that they are very good at understanding the, uh, the economic backdrop or mm-hmm. sort of, uh, put another way, economists very rarely make good macro investors. So it depends on what you want to do is you have to figure that out. Do that you want to be an economist and not in a sort of like PhD economist sense? I'm just saying sort of like a like a strategy economist type person. Uh, or you want to be an investor. Um, and my experience has been that people who are too focused on the economics, um, have a hard time getting things right in terms of being being investors, because in, investing is much more, in my opinion and experience, about risk management and uh, and sort of having uh, having feel and gut uh, and ability to withstand loss uh, and things like that, rather than about getting direction correct. Like even if you have a below fifty percent hit rate. But if you're good at risk management um, and trading, you can be successful, quite successful. But even if you are a 60% of traders, nobody does by the way, like any number that's over 52, 53, I think is just bogus. Um, You could still do very badly, which has happened to I think most people is that most people who are from that background end up being like slightly better than average predictors If you, you know, if they're good, if they're very good, but they still can't make money from that because they just can't handle the rest of the stuff. So it's two very different things. Um, Very rarely are the same people good at both. Um, But depending on which one you care about more, you should, one is you try to figure out like what is, what are you good at? Um, And I, I guess one last piece of advice I would say is that I think this, it is a little bit overrated sometimes, even as much as I have over, over pushed it a little bit in our conversation. That just because you know, you should not choose a career just because you like it. Um, you should also choose a career because you think you can make money, you can have a good life, you can be successful. Um, you know this idea that just you know, obviously, if it's finance, that question is kind of moot. To be honest, um, nobody is going hungry in whatever role you do in finance. Um, But generally speaking, I find people overemphasize this passion nonsense a bit too much.
1: I think, yeah, I think advice in general overemphasizes it. But like in finance, most people I know go to finance and say, oh, yeah, I mean, Do I like doing this kind of, but do I? But am I here for the money 100 percent? So, for like you know, for fields outside finance,
0: self selects for those people, so there's a little bit of self selection happening,
1: yeah. Right? So, like, this advice works very well if you want to move to LA and become an actor or something, but
0: right, exactly. It's more like in finance, it's less of an issue. Um, so then, then because you're already okay, you know, you're not worried about the money for the most part, then you should focus on what you care about because that part is largely not. You know,
1: a, a problem at the minimum. Yeah. So uh thanks a lot for coming. You can follow Mayank on Twitter at, at mayank 6 Aya. Uh so and I and, and, and I had a lot of fun talking, and maybe and I will find out on what is in today among people who want to do big things.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh thanks so much for having me on. I enjoyed the conversation too. And Uh, you know, best luck with all the things that you're working on. And uh, I'm sure we'll continue to have uh, fun interactions on Twitter going forward, too. Bye. Thank you. See you.